Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, my friends, and happy Thanksgiving! I know it's not a global holiday, but I'm sure most of you will know that this week was a national holiday in the United States called Thanksgiving. It's a one-day holiday, typically the last Thursday in November, and since it's a Thursday holiday, it pretty much kills the whole week, um, productivity-wise, in the business world. And I'll typically, I won't travel on this week, Instead, I'll spend the time loosely in my office working on miscellaneous stuff. And many people will take the whole week off or a couple days off, at least the Friday off. The Friday is a really dead day. But for me, it's actually easy duty because I don't need to travel and no one's bothering me. The schools give their students a brief break and extended families pull together from all around the country to spend a day together. And this makes it a bit of a travel nightmare for business people with all the students and old people lost in and about the airports. In some companies, they'll schedule internal meetings for the week because there's no client work to be done. And I had originally done this, but we canceled the meeting, so I was off. I took the opportunity to drive up to fetch my youngest at college, which is about a 12 to 14 hour round tripper. Uh, But I got good weather, no traffic, no construction, so it wasn't too much of a marathon, so to speak. I got to listen through and get caught up on all my podcasts for the week. I'm working my way through Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast, which is really good. I really like Mike's, uh, Mike's style. And those of you who have been members of the Run Run Live community for many years may remember that I interviewed Mike for episode 160 in 2011 about his History of Rome podcast, which is a really good podcast, and uh, and his wife's half-marathon addiction. So there, there you go. As far as my training, well, there's been a development. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. It's a long story. See, if you're out running together, you get the whole long story. The last uh, So last week was a step back week for me in my training plan, and I was feeling strong. I've been very intentional in this training cycle to do whatever it takes to not get injured, and I've been managing the volume and the intensity of the training cycle very well. And I've been focusing on not giving myself an overuse injury as I try to get some speed back. As my coach tells me, there's a difference between having good intentions and being intentional. So I had planned out this week so I could get my workouts, all my workouts in and drive up and get Teresa and get to my race on Thursday. And I so I planned to do my long run, which was a measly 13 miler on Saturday, piece of cake. As I worked through my chores on Saturday, I figured I need to leave the house. You know, I need like an hour and 45 minutes to run 13 miles on the road. So I set my sights to get out on the road by around 3 o'clock to get back before it got too dark. So, you know, 3 o'clock rolls around, and I go to find my stuff and get it on, and I can't find my road shoes, which is a problem, because I could grab another pair of road shoes, but those shoes that I'm looking for also have my road orthotics in them, 
and I have to go with a strange pair of shoes and a strange with the wrong orthotics in them. And even I'm smart enough to know that that's not a good idea in the middle of a training cycle. So I figured I must have left my shoes either in the gym at work or in my office. And it turns out I did. I left them in the gym. I figured I just switched to my trail running shoes, right? Just switch it to a trail run, grab my trail shoes. So I grab Buddy. I figure I'll do two loops of my six or seven miler in the woods behind my house down by the pond. Beautiful fall day. Still only 13 miles, but now it's getting late. And a trail 13 miles is going to take me, you know, two hours or more. Yeah, no worries. I'll bring a hat, you know, with a light for the second loop. I'm no stranger to running trails in the dark. Yeah, you see where this is going, don't you? So this time of year, the leaves are all freshly down from the trees. And the footing is a bit dicey with the leaves covering up the trails, you know, a couple inches deep in places. And I'm usually pretty good at this. You know, when you plant your foot and you feel the rock or the root, you just sort of unweight that foot and sort of roll through it. You know, there's a there's a there's a method to this. But circumstance intervented again. It was cold out, you know, nice crisp fall night. And I was wiping my nose which uh, momentarily changed my balance, and I planted my 190 pounds on something under the leaves and felt that sharp little click and pain. Classic rolled ankle. So I limped back to the house with only nine miles in, and it wasn't a bad sprain, and it wasn't all swollen up and purple like the bad ones, like the one I had before that took me out for six months. Uh, but it was bad enough to keep me off my feet for a couple of days, and that's how the universe changed my training schedule this week. So I stayed off my feet until yesterday, Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, and I ran uh, 5K with my daughter. Uh, the ankle was fine. I pushed fairly hard. It's a little sore today. I ended up coming in 69th out of 885 participants. Uh, was with a time of 21.58 or 7.04s for a pace, uh, miles, uh, minutes per mile, 7.04. And I was the 61st out of 432 males. And I was ninth in my age group out of 79 people. So, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, it felt strange to run fast, and I'm a bit sore this morning. I was hoping to go under 7-minute miles, but, you know, I'm happy to be running. Or should I say, I'm thankful to be running. In today's show, we'll interview, well, me, actually. I have mixed feelings about this, but it is what it is, and maybe you can get something out of it. For the running bit, I'm going to give you a piece on form. For this, for section two, I'm going to talk about gratitude. What are you thankful for? So I'm thankful for you. Thank you for letting me do this. Thank you for helping me stay focused, and thank you for taking this journey with me. On with the show. It's when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Prepping for a Harder Training Cycle, Part 1, Form. This is the first of a series where I'm going to talk about laying the groundwork to take your training to the next level. So why would you want to step up your training? Simply because if you want to get faster, which many people do, you're going to have to increase the intensity and volume of your training at some point. The problem, it seems, is that it isn't as simple as just running harder and more. The transition from an average training plan to an advanced training plan is hard, and many people don't survive it. Anecdotally, it seems like the number one reason people can't step up to a more aggressive training plan is that when they try, they immediately get injured. That is the gap. You need to add volume and intensity, but when you do, it's game over. So what can you do to make the transition to an advanced plan work? How do you prepare yourself to cross that gap? So in this series, we will try to address that challenge. And the topics we'll discuss in more detail are how to get proper running form, how to strengthen the bits that you need for more intense training, how to develop the range of motion and flexibility that you need, and how to build a big base and become aerobically fit. So form first. My coach likes to say that all injuries are form-related. 
If you have poor form, it's going to severely limit your ability to scale your training. Misalignment of your stride creates stress points that will quickly manifest as tendonitis when you ramp up your mileage. So instead of diving into an advanced program, getting injured, and then trying to figure out what the problem is, step back and invest in developing better form. Fix your form before you ramp up your training and you can avoid many of those injuries. So what is good form? You've heard all the advice, I'm sure. Run tall, forward lean, fast feet, but specifically, what can you do? First, let's talk about posture. Good form requires you to have good upright posture. Here's what you do. Here's, here's, here's the exercise. Here's the practice. Stand facing a wall. Have the wall about 12 inches or more from the tip of your toes. Place your feet just normally, shoulder-width apart. Make sure your feet are pointing directly at the wall, not in at each other, pigeon-toed or outwards, duck-footed. And you may laugh at this, but I would say at least half the people I see running in the gym have at least one foot at a wonky angle, and this is a guaranteed recipe for tendonitis. Now straighten up your body. Imagine that there is a string that runs from the bottom of your feet all the way up through your body and out through the very top of your head. And imagine you're pulling on that string. It's getting pulled tightly upward, so your whole body gets taller and straighter. Now push your hips forward. Imagine that there's a leash that's tied to your belt buckle and there's a dog pulling you. It's pulling those hips forward. Tall, hips forward. Now pull your arms up so your hands are loosely out in front of you. Your elbows should be close to your sides and at 90 degrees. Your hands are loose and turn slightly thumbs out. That'll help you keep your elbows tight. Now fall forward slowly. You don't want to break your nose. Fall forward into that wall by leaning forward at your ankles. Just your ankles. Keep the rest of your body upright and straight like it was before. Lean at the ankles. And this is what we mean by running tall and upright form and lean at the ankles. So notice now that you're leaning against the wall with maybe your forehead on the wall or your hands lightly on the wall. Notice how when you leaned forward... Your heels lifted off the ground a little. Notice where your weight is resting on your feet. Your weight now should be squarely on the center front of your foot. By leaning forward at the ankles, you remove the need to heel strike. Where your weight is now is where your foot should be when it hits the ground when you run. When you're running with proper form, you're really falling forward and your feet are catching you. It's, con- it's a controlled forward fall with that lean at the ankles. Where you're standing now, leaning against that wall, this is where your feet should hit the ground. Notice how they are under your center of gravity and not out in front of you. From this position, stay in this position, leaning against the wall, Now lift one of your feet by bending your knee and pulling that foot directly back so that the heel approaches your butt cheek on that side, straight back. That's the running motion when you find your good form. Picture it. Now lift the other foot the same way. Notice the muscles and the balance you're using to lift the feet. Notice how your feet stay pointed forward. They shouldn't whip out to the side or any other motion, they should lightly land on that pad under your center of gravity and then snap quickly back up, heels to your buttocks. That's good posture, and it's really important. It's important not only because it will keep you from getting injured when you ramp up your training, but it's also very efficient and will allow you to run faster and longer with less effort. For some of you, it may be a bit like learning how to juggle. This may be foreign to you. You may have burned in a set of poor mechanics. And like every other habit, it takes practice to break those habits and change. This is why you should work on it before you start piling on harder training. So first, forget about speed and distance. 
just spend some time, maybe a month, working on getting that form right. You may have to slow down to get it under control. That's okay. Here's some tips for for working with that, for fixing that form. So first, have someone video you from the front, the back, and the side, both sides, as you run or try to run with good form. And do it at a couple of different paces, slow, medium, fast, and share that video with other runners and specifically with a good running coach to get some pointers on what you need to work on. Second, try running in your socks on the treadmill or barefoot in the grass. Shoes can distort your form, especially if you've been trying to compensate for form issues with control shoes. Go naked. See how it feels. Be careful. Go very slowly when you do this. The goal is not to run fast. It's to understand and really feel your body mechanics. Feel your feet hit the ground. Third, Go on YouTube and search for form drills. You'll find some of the best coaches in the world have different exercises and drills that you can do to enhance good form and work the ones you like into your routine. Finally, I like to watch the videos of the elite runners and check out their form, especially late in races. So watch their form late in races and get that image of what good form looks like. Because that's when form becomes very important is late in a race. Get that image of those elite runners running with great form late in a race in your head. So you can bring that out. You can visualize it. And you can replay it when you're practicing your own form. The faster and farther you run, the more important having good form becomes. If you want to step it up, do yourself a favor and step back and spend a cycle working on your form. There's no end point to this practice of form. You'll spend your career working on it. But investing in your form will pay great dividends in performance and injury avoidance down the road. And now for today's featured interview. When I started listening to your show, I am a bit of a goofball. So you're moldy pumpkin pie. So yeah. Really kind of pulled me in. I thought, okay, this guy's a goofball too. What made you use that song? Is there a history behind it? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if I've told this story before, but we used to have this thing called Music Alley. Before that was Podsafe, and it was music that artists contributed specifically that people could use in podcasts. Okay. This was years ago, and I don't think either of these sites exist anymore. And so I was looking for, you know, I'd been listening to podcasts up to that point. So I knew that you need to have like intro and outro music and this sort of stuff. Um, And I was trying to do all this stuff myself. So I was looking for some music. And my thought with the when I heard that song, and I actually exchanged emails with this guy. Okay. It was just some goofballs in their basement doing all these like parody songs and weird mix ups and stuff. And I heard it. And it. what I wanted to make sure is that no one thought I was trying to be serious. Uh-huh. So my biggest fear was that people would think I was trying to be super serious about this run and stuff. Right. And, and that's not really what I want to do. I wanted to be sort of have fun with it. So I thought that set the tone right out of the gates that, by the way, we're not taking this seriously, right? This isn't brain surgery. This is something we do for fun, right? Right. Um, and that's why I chose that. And then it's just evolved over time. I've had different people record it for me, different. But I like the riff, right? So the riff of that dun, 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 dun. Right. That riff is almost like it's become almost like a brand thing for me. You know, like if you the Intel inside sound, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree. I agree. And like I said, it was what attracted me to your show in the first place. I listened to that first bit and I thought, oh, I'm going to like this guy. Yeah, exactly. Talking you, of course. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you you can tell that story. We were uh, we were joking on uh, on Twitter uh, that Anne was my stalker that she was hanging out in the bushes outside my house. Exactly, it's, it's sort of true, a little bit true. <laughs> that was before I knew your husband, though. Right, right. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so actually, you know, that leads to another really good question. This has been. You know, I, I put this out there yesterday on Facebook that, you know, Facebook is wonderful and social media media is wonderful, but there are a lot of 
creepers out there, a lot of people that you can get worried about. On the other end of that, there are a lot of people who you're so thankful that you've done this. So you've been really good about that. And I've noticed, you know, listening to the show and then knowing you in person, how many people do you think you've met through doing this in real life, real real connections that you've made because you've started the podcast? I think that's the key to it, right? And that's that's why you do it is to be able to reach people that you wouldn't reach otherwise. So, I mean, hundreds of people, uh, very good friends, you know, people I travel with now. It's it's really kind of strange. We used to say back in the old days and when we were starting this whole social media and Twitter thing that if you met a runner online, you knew they weren't a creeper. Right. Because it's sort of like self-qualifying. It's it's a self-selected set of people. If people do this, then, you know, they may be kind of strange, but they're not they're not dangerous or perverted or anything. Right. So. Right. So all the people I've met have been wonderful. It, it's hard to explain that to other people, though, I think, that, that uh, you can go out and meet somebody that you've met online. You know, when I first said to Blaze, oh, I'm going to go meet this person out, and we're going to go for a run. He's like, but you just met them online? I'm like, but they're a runner. You know, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> so it's, it's different. All right, so let's let's go on and talk about your you, – you have about a billion irons in the fire at any given time. The road race, road directing stuff that you do, or race directing stuff. Tell me how you got into that and what you love about it. So when I first started running again, I mean, I ran in high school and I ran, you know, sort of fitfully through my whole life, probably 40 years now. But uh, when I came back into it, I was probably 29. Uh-huh. And uh, my mother said to me, "There's, uh, they're starting a new road race in Groton, the town where I grew up. You should go, you know, you should go run that. So that was sort of my target race when I came back into running at 29. Ah. And I trained for it. And, you know, as much as I knew how to train back then. Right. And because it was 10K, you know, 10K is a long ways when you first start running, right? Yeah, exactly. And my goal was to uh, run an eight-minute mile. Okay. And I didn't know if I could do it. And And I did it. So I ran the first, the inaugural Groton 5K, and then it just start, started being sort of a tradition every year I'd do that. Right. Uh, and that was in 1991. And then, I don't know, probably seven, eight years ago, the race sort of had a crisis because this, this is just the natural life cycle of, of road races is that the people who originally set them up, they move on. And then, you know, just like uh, any other position, you start to you start to have sort of fall off in the passion and, you know, different things happen and maybe the person who's doing it doesn't want, you know, doesn't want to do it anymore and that sort of thing. So I, I found, I got into an opportunity where I could take over and sort of not save the race, but breathe new life into it. And since I had such a personal relationship with it, I wasn't willing to let it founder. Right. So I got involved and my strategy for doing it, which ended up being a successful strategy was different than, you know, a lot of these races are sort of, they're sort of kind dictatorships where it's one person doing everything. Right. And you can't, that model doesn't work in our lives, right? So I went out and got a, a, a dozen people to help me and broke the whole thing up into divisions, essentially, you know, little departments, business units, right. and put competent enthusiastic people in charge of that. And I've held that team pretty much together for, it's going to be our 25th year now uh, this spring. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great experience. I've learned a lot and the, you know, it's, it's not about me, but it's about the race and the community. And I got a great team of people that uh, pull it off and I just have to stand around and shake hands. Oh, great. So after that, the question here is from, from a uh, Doug in Vermont was what are your three things any race director should do to make the event memorable? To make the event successful, you have to have, you can't do it yourself. You have to have a team of people, competent people, uh, to, to who have the same sort of passion about it. Right. And so, you know, that's the first thing, to make it successful. Otherwise, you won't be able to do it. But I think what we focus on is the product and the quality of the product. Uh-huh. And you have to be very clear about what you're trying to accomplish because, like anything else, there's a lot of opportunities to go in different directions. So you go into these races where you can't really tell whether the race is about a charity or whether it's about the race or, you know, 
they have sort of a muddled theme or focus. Right. And and those don't really work. You have to be sort of laser-like. So if you're all about this charity, uh-huh. then that's what you got to be laser-like and wrap your execution around that theme or that strategy. And for us, it's the product, right? So it's the course, it's the people, it's the community, it's the whole product of that day that you come and you get that experience. Right, right. right. And so that's what we focus on. We focus on having a quality product. That's great. Yeah, and there, and you know that. You can tell that when you go to a race, whether it's whether people have, have a, a, well, a product, what they're trying to sell and in this particular race, or whether they're doing exactly what you said. They're sort of here and sort of there, and they've got to do it. We had a race here just a few weeks ago where I think it, registration didn't even open officially until two weeks before. But the race has been done for so long that they still had five or 600 people come out for it. But, you know, that's what they are. They were expecting to be there. So. so the question I think we got asked the most out of all of these was how do you balance everything? How do you balance family and running and career and the podcast? Because you say you don't take the podcast seriously. It's not meant to be serious. But you take it seriously. You you put it out there week in, week out, and, and you do a great job with it. It's not halfway done at any point. You know, I have system around it where it's a template. You know, I know exactly what I have to do, and I've got a feel for it. So I, I, I know what the work involved is. I don't have to, you know, make anything up. So I just have to execute on that. And yeah, sometimes it gets up into the, you know, six, six to eight hours worth of um, execution on that uh, that I have to spread out over the week or two weeks that I'm putting it together. But you know, by, by I always wanted to have a deadline and a specific format, so the people on the other end uh-huh. got something predictable. Right. So it was important to me to make it predictable. So it's going to have this segment, this segment, this segment. It's going to be this long, and it's going to come out on, you know, this day, plus or minus 12 hours. And I like to dump them on Friday mornings or Friday afternoons so that people can have them for Saturday morning. Because I noticed that most of the other podcasts will come out on, like, a Sunday afternoon. And I'm like, what good does that do me, right? My weekend's over. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. So, um, so I try to do that. And in terms of the, you know, the how do you schedule everything, I ask everybody the same question as well. And I think we all fight the same battles, right? I'm, I'm a neurotic mess most of the time, just like everybody else. Right. To be honest, a lot of it has been career choice and putting a little effort into designing how you spend your life versus just reacting to it. Right. So what I mean by that is if you have a job where, you know, let's say you work at Starbucks uh-huh. and you got to go in there and work from, you know, 5 to 10, there's not a lot of opportunity for you to do other stuff during that time period, right? You're on the clock. But if you have a job that is not – so you don't want a job that's based on time spent, right? Right. So, so if your job is based on time spent, you can't leverage any of that time. But you still want to get paid, right? right. So you, you want a job. You have to understand the concept of effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So you want a job where you have the most leverage of your time. And for me, that has been management. Uh, it's been ownership. It's been, uh, frankly, a lot of sales, right. where sales is moments of truth. So it may be a two-hour meeting that takes you two days to prep for, right? but that two-hour meeting may be worth, a million dollars, right? So it's an effective use of your time. Right. Uh, and that leaves you time around the corners to, to do other things. Now, that being said, one of my biggest challenges is I try to do too many things, right? I spread myself too thin. Right. But I think that's just my nature. You know, I don't know what they would have called that when, you know, when we were growing up. They would have called that being ADD or being entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, or being a renaissance man, maybe they would have called that right. two, 300 years ago. Um, or as they, uh, I heard somebody refer to, to uh, Ben Franklin as a curious polymath. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a portfolio life where you dabble in a lot of little things. I think you can do more than one thing well. And I think one of the, the non-value-added aspects of our culture here in America is that we force people into one thing. We say, what do you do? And if that question is easy for you to answer, you're not doing enough stuff. Right. <laughs> right. So when people ask me, what do you do? I'm like, I have no idea how to answer that question. It's right? funny you said that. I just went and bought a new computer. 
Um, and the woman, it was at Apple, and, and she says to me, what do you do? And I said, well, I I podcast, and I, I blog, and I, oh, and I work in social media, and oh, and I'm doing this. And I started listening, and I'm like, I don't know what I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do a lot of stuff, but I manage it all. I think it helps what you're saying. Is it, it does. It helps to enjoy what you're doing. And it's some, I guess there's a thread probably, I'm thinking about what you do. There's a thread that runs through all of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So at a meta level, you're you have a theme or a design that runs through that. And you also have to think of it in terms of your gardens that you tend. Right. So if I were to ask you, you know, what are the main areas of your life that you focus on? What would you answer? Well, family and uh, clearly writing and running those those run through everything for me. Right. So most people will say something along the lines of family, mm-hmm. work, the spiritual. Right. Mm-hmm the hobby kind of stuff or the physical, right? Right. And if you think about what we, you know, when I interview people and you always hear that moment that they transformed, right, where something got them. (laughs) And we talk about how running, you know, that garden of your life, you know, whatever that is, I call it endurance sports, but for you it could be, you know, anything. Right. People that when they get engaged in that, it transforms their life because that's that keystone habit, right? It drags the rest of their life in there. And if you think about family, I mean, is there anything that transforms your life more than having a child? Right, exactly. Right? That's another one of those gravity wells where it will transform an entire person's life. You know, spiritually or religion, you see it happen to people as well. In work, you see people, you know, the same thing. So baked into us is this sort of portfolio life. You have multiple gardens. You know, you want to have intent in how you manage those those gardens. Right, exactly. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I see today, which is kind of a fallacy, is people, they take that quote that says, uh, you know, if you if you follow your passion, you'll find work and never be unhappy. Right. You know, I, I would caution people that sometimes a hobby is just a hobby. Right. 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 If everybody followed their passion, we'd all be painters and, you know, long distance runners, but nothing to get done in this world. It's okay to work hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and that doesn't mean you can't do some of those other things, but it, it you know, just doesn't mean that you're going to make running your life, you know. So if you love running, it doesn't mean you're going to, doesn't mean you can't, but it also doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. <laughs> so. Right. That may not be the highest leverage thing for you to do right. in, in your life. Exactly. It, it's extremely important and it can transform you, but it may, it's just one of those things that you're working on, right? right. So I, I think part of the zeitgeist of the culture today is that if I find this thing I love and I just commit to that, yeah, you may be happy, but you're probably going to be poor, too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You talk to the college-age kids and they say, oh, well, I want to write. And I'm like, okay, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. First of all, find another job while you're doing that. But also know that it's going to take work. You're not just going to write something and put it out there. And people are going to go, oh, gosh, I really want that. You You have to work for what you want. Yeah, and I was having this conversation yesterday with uh, one of my daughters where that people think that because it's their passion and it's fun, but if you take that thing that's fun and is your passion, and imagine yourself having to do that 80 hours a week. Right. Is it still fun? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Because otherwise it's just another job. Exactly. Somebody asked, were you always this way? What were you like as a kid? Were you always driven? Were you always set, you know, you knew what you wanted to do and, and went for it even as a kid or, or, you know, how were you then? Not really. I mean, I was very good academically. Mm-hmm. Um, as a child, I was horrible athletically. I was such a, uh, uh, I was so bad at sports. But I think a lot of runners are like that, right? You see the runners coming out of, uh, you know, engineering and, and those sort of pursuits. Right. Um, they're not, you know, it's it, because it's a, it's sort of an individual pursuit. It's you against yourself. It's a lot more comfortable for people than uh, team sports. But yeah, I mean, that being said, I was in I was a varsity wrestler, and uh, I did some other things. Um, but you know, academically, I was always really strong, and I knew I could do that, and that was kind of my strategy to succeed. Mm-hmm. But you know, in terms of being driven, no, not not at all. And you know, my my sister who listens to the podcast, which I think is really strange. Oh. Uh, one of my sisters listens to the podcast. She started running again. She'll tell you I just bounced from thing to thing. You know, I took the easy path. So well, I, that's been my. Chris, actually, though, that's 
similar actually to what you do. I mean, you're not, you don't bounce from thing to thing, but you just said, you know, you're sort of ADHD all over the place with doing a lot of different things. Did you find that was what you did as a kid? Yeah, I mean, but what I inferred in the question was, did you have a plan? You know, I'm going to get this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. It's like, no, I didn't. I had no plan at all. It was, well, this seems nice. I think I'll go do this. (laughs) Yeah, I said, well, you were a kid, so that makes sense. And it's it's funny that to look back and go, well, how much was I like that as a kid? And how much, you know, what, what translated for me? Well, I think if you look at it, one a useful exercise that I've been through just recently, if you look at all the way back uh-huh. as a kid, because so many of your traits are, are sort of formed very, very early in your life. Right. Everyone has strategies for success. Uh-huh. And if you look all the way back in high school and elementary school, you'll find you use the same strategies for success, right? So my strategies were to, to be the smartest person in the room, right? right? But... What you'll find is as you get later in life, uh, those same strategies that have always made you successful now become limiting. Okay. So you have to assess whether the way you've always been successful will eventually get you to a plateau. Okay. And so a lot of the the sort of the self-awareness work I've been doing over the summer is to say, okay, what are those strategies and what have they, you know, all the great things they've brought me, but how are they also causing me to plateau? Right. 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 That's a good point. That's a really good point. Actually, that that sort of brings me into this next question. So so a lot of the stuff you say on the show inspires me personally to go out, and, and another writer wrote the same thing, inspires us to go out and do more or change our life or think about our life in some way. What inspires you on a daily basis? How do you, what inspires you to do the show? What inspires you to keep running and pushing, even though you've gone through all these injuries? What, you know, what inspires you? Well, that's two questions. So the, the thing that inspires me to keep doing the podcast is I get these letters every once in a while, uh-huh. you know, these emails from people who have had some sort of epiphany and somehow my words have facilitated that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the coolest thing in the world. I'm so grateful to be able to be part of that because I've said this before, it's not me who's doing it. It's, it's how I'm reflected in them that's doing it. Right. right? So I'm, I'm putting the, the waves out there, but it's how they absorb them that transforms them. So I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do that. It's just so inspiring to, to get a letter from somebody, you know, you may be having a down day and you'll get a letter from somebody that says, Hey, this, this really resonated with me and helped me through this point in my life. Right. I think the last show I did this thing on how to overcome an injury Uh and I, and I came at it from a psychological point of view as opposed to a, you know, a a physical point of view. And, and and I made the statement, I said, first thing you got to understand is, is running is not who you are. It's what you do. Right. And so I got a tweet from somebody yesterday some woman who said that was exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. Right. 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 So that's great. Right. Right. What about in everything else you do? What keeps you, what keeps you going on a daily basis? I don't think there's really an option to (laughs) not go. Right. See that I just sounded exactly like my father just said. That's funny. Did you? That's yeah. Saying that, Chris, I'm wondering, somebody said, how do you keep motivated and keep coming back from injury? But that question led me to think, how did you, when you lost him, how did you stay motivated to keep doing all the things you're doing on a daily basis when you were grieving for him? That was a weird year Mm -hmm. in general, because that was the year between the bombing and the next year. That was that year I ran a marathon a month. So... I had a lot of sort of, you know, I don't want to be disingenuous, but sort of PSTD from that whole Boston bombing thing because it was right in my community and with my dad being sick. So that whole year was kind of weird for me and I had to work through some things. So, you know, but I'm grateful to have my, you know, my family's real consistent. My career's been consistent. So I've had a lot of support. And, you know, to take it back to the previous question, being able to do the podcast and think through some of the things that I was thinking through, you know, in words. If you can read between the lines, you know, you can hear me thinking through this stuff in, internally. Right. A lot of times when I'm talking, I'm talking to myself. Right. Right. I'm reminding myself. I'm preaching to myself. I'm not. It's not that I've come to this conclusion. 
and now you know I need to tell you. Right. It's I've come to this conclusion, and now I need to reinforce that with myself. Right. So the running, the podcasting, it, and the community, and my family, you know, they they help me through this stuff. Right. Uh, so actually, let's go talk about your family. Your wife must be a saint. <laughs> you don't know her. <laughs> well, I've met her. She seems pretty saintly. Oh, that's but, right. That's right. You have met my wife. But how does she? Uh, how does she put up with all of this? Does she get frustrated with the with the all the training and all of the you know? And now you know you work a lot, you travel a lot, and then you come home and go, oh, and now I have to do the podcast. Yeah. So again, I'm I'm blessed because my wife has her own career and her own stuff that she does, and she's really solid uh, as a person. So she wasn't the kind of person who would be hanging out at home waiting for me to get home, right, and and calling me every six minutes, right? So she's a, a very independent and strong person. So I'm blessed with that. But when I first started, you know, when social media first started blooming, you know, we were doing all this Twitter stuff and Facebook and podcasting. She doesn't do any of that. Right. And she's not really a child of the, uh, you know, the computer age. Uh-huh. She said, you know, you can do whatever you want. Just don't talk about me and don't talk about the kids. Okay. And, and I said, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. And, you know, that was when the kids were younger. Right. right? So now they're, you know, they're out of their they're college age or, or older. Right. So it's not as important. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. for the, the weirdos out there and all that stuff. Right. So, but yeah, no, Yvonne is a, a super strong person. We've been married for coming up on 31 years. Right. And I met her in... High school. Oh wow! One of my friends was dating her younger sister. Okay. And then she invited me to her senior prom. Huh. So you didn't go to the same school as she? No. Okay. Oh, well, that's great. Nope. I went to prep school. She went to tech school. Okay. Okay. So yeah, no, we hear this a lot, especially in the in the store. People come in and you know they're like, "Oh, my wife says I can only do one more marathon." And, and yeah, I watch you and people like you, and I go, you know, I wonder. And luckily, I'm lucky. I have Blaze, and we both do it. So we just juggle it a different way, but we don't get frustrated with with each other because we totally get it. We're like, well, I know why he's doing that. So yeah, and like I said, she's not sitting at home waiting for me to come back. Right. Uh, so. You know, when the kids were little, I used to I used to put them to bed at night and then go down to the track, right? Yeah, I read that in the marathon book, and I thought, oh, yeah, because doing it at night for me is just too hard. It's too hard. yeah. It's either that or get up early in the morning, right? Either way, if you've got a if you've got a family and a job and you're looking to train seriously, you're going to have to. You know, that's that's the only time you got, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. So one final question. What's what's next? What do you have? What's your next big event that you're doing and, and uh, or, or your next big wish list that you want to do? I don't want to go out unqualified. So I'm trying to requalify. I've been sort of stealth training using my own uh, training plan. Uh-huh. And it's been going pretty well. You know, my big fear is to stay healthy. Right. Uh, because I'm learning a lot. You know, I'm actually learning a lot about you know, okay, if you want to do this and you want to train with this intensity, but you're old, uh-huh. you know, what does that mean, right? right? What do you have to do differently? So I'm actually learning a lot, um, and it's going really well. I have a turkey trot Thursday morning, and I, I was going to race it hard, but now I get this uh, twisted ankle, so we'll have to see oh, if yeah. uh, that's that's better by then and then how hard I want to go. Because I'm curious to see, you know, it's like having a new car and wanting to take it out on the track. Uh, since my heart problem got taken care of and I've been doing a lot of speed work you know it just feels like I got a lot of speed back uh-huh. I don't know if I got 26.2 miles of speed back right but I'm pretty sure I got a at least 13.1 at this point okay. and uh, I just got to stretch that out so after that I have a there's a, a club race that we do called the Mills Cities Relay it's an invite only okay uh, where we put a bunch of teams in so I'll do that I'll run that um, treat does a training run and then uh, me and my buddies do this thing called the Groton Marathon that I made up oh. three years ago in December because there's no marathons in December. Right. So me and my buddy Brian have done this for the last two years. We're going to do it again this year on December 27th. Okay. We're going to go out run 26 miles nice. for fun. And then I'm looking for, you know, i got to figure out what this ankle does to my training plan. Right. But I'm looking for a race. I haven't, I haven't signed up for it, but I'm looking for a race somewhere in January, December that I can go uh, try to qualify at. Okay. So have you not qualified for, for this this coming year? 
Nope, but I have a number um, because I, you know, I know people. Right. Exactly. Um, I'll be running for uh, Team Hoyt again. Nice. I love Team yep. Hoyt. It's great, great call. Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun to wear their shirt, especially at Boston, because you get so much love. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just ran the last six miles of a Marine Corps Marathon here, and there were a bunch of Team Hoyt teams, and I held it together. You know, Chris, I'm a crier. I held it together really well until we're coming into the end, and, and the crowd goes nuts for this kid who's being pushed by his dad, actually, right beside me. And the crowd's going nuts, and I'm loving that, but then I hear the dad say to the kid, Charlie, this is for you, Charlie, and I just totally lost it. I swear to you, I just cried like a baby, but it is amazing to watch these people out there doing this at all the all races. So it's a great call. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They're good people. So well I'm so glad you asked me to do this. I'm um I enjoyed learning more because some of the stuff I hadn't hadn't heard even all after all the stalking I have done. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about getting older and trying to run and trying to still be fast and, and stay not injured. Yeah. Um I'm working in the store every day, you know, so people come in and I swear to God, I hear over and over, I'm injured. You know, of course, I've got plantar fasciitis, I've got this, yeah. I've got that. And I started thinking about it. I think the thing that really clued me in to this idea, and I don't know that I'm right, but I really think I'm right. People come in and they say, my doctor says I have an overuse injury. And yes, I see that with marathoners and half marathoners and ultras, but I'm also hearing it from people who are coming in and they're running six miles a week because they're just training yeah. for their first 5K and the doctor says it's an overuse injury. And it's occurred to me, I don't think it's an overuse injury. I think it's an under-maintenance injury. I think it's not doing the stuff to take care of your machine, like you said. It's not doing the stretching and the massaging and the eating right and the staying hydrated, all of this, that stuff. That's what I think this all comes down to. I've, I've been working. On this well, in- yeah, I mean, it's it's a couple of things, right? It, if you watched them run, you'd probably be horrified at their form, okay. right? It's running, right? right. It, nobody teach, nobody shows you how to run, and most people don't know how to do it. So number one is form, and then, like you said, it's the maintenance stuff, but it's also, it could be overuse even if they were only running six miles a week because that six miles is they put on a pair of tennis shoes and, and hit the treadmill for six miles right. or, you know, they just – it's overuse because of where they're starting and where they're going. Right. Right. And how they're doing it. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I see people on the treadmill. I've been doing all my training on the treadmill, which is a whole nother story. And I see people, they pull up beside me and I just have to bite my tongue. Right. right. Cause it's like, Oh God, you're going to kill yourself. Yeah. Right. You, you're going to have tendonitis in that ankle on the outside. Right. right? I can tell them exactly what's going to happen. Right. Well, it's funny you say that I run behind people in races now and I want to hand them my car and say, come see me for shoes. You're in the totally wrong shoe. <laughs> yeah, well, you see that a lot, too. People have the big clunky shoes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can hear them hitting the ground. Exactly. But, um, no, what, I guess what I've learned is, you know, the, the, there's a question on, you know, how often, right? right? So if you're old, you should only run every other right. day. And I think if you have your volume up and your maintenance is good and your core is good, your form is good, that's not necessarily like a, like a hard commandment. Right. You have to watch your volume and you have to have rest days right. and you have to listen to your body. So a couple of weeks ago, I rolled out of an 18 miler, right? I ran an 18 miler on either Saturday or Sunday. Uh-huh. I think it was Saturday. I noticed on Monday, my hips were sore, right? Okay. And that's, so that's tendonitis, right? I know what that right. is. That's over, that's an overuse injury, right. right? And so I go, okay, what do I do? And I, so I did yoga instead of, usually on Mondays I was doing a spin. Okay. I was doing like a 45 to 50 minute spin just to get some blood in there and do the active recovery. But at that point, I'm looking at it and go, okay, my hips are sore. That's an overuse injury. What I have to do is I have to do the yoga and specifically the hip opening stretches, right? right? And I have to not do that spin because I'm using those same joints. So I think that's what I'm learning is you need more rest. You need to pick your battles sort of, right? Right, exactly. And you really need to listen to your body. You know, I have the benefit of knowing of knowing what hip tendonitis feels right. like, right? Yeah, exactly. And knowing what, you know, runner's knee feels like, knowing what shin splits feels like. And I know all those things and I know the symptoms. Right. So I can get in front of them. Right. The experience or old age or whatever you want to call it, how much that does help you. Yeah, there's a few things I've learned. So the other thing when you're older is you just get pain. Right. 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 For no reason. Yeah. Like you'll wake up one day and your shoulder will be sore. And you're like, 
I don't remember using my shoulder this week. What you know? Right. You ju- you just get these weird pains. Yeah. And it's like okay, just you know, it's not. I guess it's not a problem. It's just exactly. a pain. Truthfully, you could not tell your younger self this. They would not get it. Yeah. So, what like, do you mean well, you get a pain? <laughs> I mean, I don't have to adjust my training just because that right. hurts. Because I don't really know what it exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, so so you get a lot of those false positive signals. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, well, but thank you very much for letting me do it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, hope hopefully it's useful for for folks. Yeah. Add some value. Yeah, I think it will. I think it. Will. All right. All right. Have a good day, Chris. You too. Enjoy uh, your work. Thank you. Bye bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Gratitude. In America, this week, we have a national holiday called Thanksgiving. If we for a moment strip off the unfortunate histrionics of the foundation myth, it is quite a thing to have a day where the nation as one formally expresses its thanks. I like to think of it as National Gratitude Day. What is gratitude? Why do we want to practice it? How does it help us? How does it help the world? Well, it turns out that practicing gratitude is an excellent path to all sorts of good stuff. It makes us feel more positive about our lives. It gives us higher levels of satisfaction. It makes our relationships stronger. It makes us want to help others more. Practicing gratitude eliminates that scarcity mentality and replaces it with an abundance mentality. Gratitude can convert a fixed mindset into a growth mindset. Some studies have shown that practicing gratitude can increase happiness by as much as 25%. With all this benefit, why don't we practice gratitude? Well, the truth is that we get stuck in our routines We get too busy. We get too wrapped up in our day-to-day grind and forget to be grateful. We worry about what we don't have. We let other people with bad karma spill over into our lives. But with all this benefit, how do we work the practice of gratitude into our lives? There are a number of small things you can do to drastically up the gratitude quotient of your life. So are you ready for a whirlwind journey through some of the ways to get a little gratitude into your life? Good. Let's go. Number one, smile. Really, it's that simple. When you find yourself in a rough patch or with a head full of crap, just lean back, take a deep breath, and smile. Actually, do that right now. See? Doesn't that make you feel better? Number two, set specific times to be grateful and then do it. 2A, in the morning, as part of your morning routine. Think about all the things you're grateful for. It's a great way to start the day. It doesn't have to be anything amazing when you do this. You can be grateful for your oatmeal and grateful for your coffee. The key is to be consistent and practice it. Part B, at night before you go to bed. Think about three to five things that you're grateful for during the day. Things that came into your life, people you interacted with. Go to sleep grateful. And then before part C, before specific events, before you have a big meal, be grateful for it. Before you go into that big meeting, think of all the things you're grateful for. It will totally change your intent as you enter that meeting, as you enter that event. It'll open up your mind to positive results. Part D, set a random gratitude alarm on your phone. Have a specific alarm, maybe with some happy music that goes off during the day to specifically remind you to smile and be grateful. Number three, write it down. Most of the success coaches tell you to journal about what you're grateful for. Just jot down a few things during one of those gratitude breaks. There's some science that points to the efficacy of the act of writing stuff down having greater impact than just thinking about it. Maybe that works for you. Number four, say it out loud. 
Some people are tactile and will get a jolt from writing their gratitude down. Some people are more influenced by audio. Recite your short list of what you're grateful for out loud. Number five, tell someone else. Hey, if you're going to say it out loud, why not go ahead and tell someone what you're grateful for? Then you're influencing two lives for the better. Number six, really tell someone. Instead of just telling them what you're grateful for, tell them what you're grateful about them that you're grateful for. Number seven, look for things to be grateful for. As you're walking through your day, see if you can find things to be grateful for and make note of them. This will create an expectation of gratitude. Number eight, have gratitude for the hard stuff. I know life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. As a matter of fact, if you're doing it right, life should be full of awesome challenges. Practice being thankful for these awesome challenges. They are what makes life worth living. Smile at that stuff. Number nine, ask better questions. When it gets hard, we have a tendency to ask the wrong questions, like, why is this so hard? Instead, practice asking more grateful questions like, what can I learn from this? Or what good can I take from this? Or how does this make me stronger, better? Number 10, get physical. Start creating things and places that you can associate with your gratitude practice. This way, the simple act of being in that place or seeing that thing will change your state to one of gratitude. Part A, a thank you walk where you get out and walk around looking for things and people to be grateful for. Part B, a gratitude token of some sort, like a jar that you put pennies in or a lucky charm. Anything that when you see it, it will remind you of your gratitude practice. Part C, a gratitude spot where you can go to practice your gratitude, like a special spot to sit and think. So there you go. 10 specific tips on how to bring a practice of gratitude into your life. Be thankful. Life is abundant. Cheers. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well now, how are you feeling? All bloated with 8,000 calories of pie and turkey? No worries, nothing that a couple of miles in the woods can't solve. Yeah, I'm going to head out with Buddy today. It's a nice day, nice, nice warm day. Remember, next month, I'm going to shut down the extra Run, Run, Live feed in iTunes. So if you stop getting a show, search for Run, Run, Live in your favorite podcast directory and resubscribe to the Run, Run, Live 4.0 podcast. And while you're at it, you can go leave me a review while you're in there, if you're in iTunes. And based on my performance in the 5K this week, I'm on track to requalify at some point, but... Rolling the ankle has set me back a couple weeks in my cycle, so I'm probably not going to do that Mississippi Marathon in January. I just wasn't feeling it anyhow, you know, a travel race, and my wife didn't want to come with me. So, so you know, you make adjustments on the fly. I'm going to keep my training going, but maybe adjust it to more of a gradual ramp to do something in February. I've got the Mill Cities Relay on December 6th, where I will be running the long leg, the 10-mile leg. That's always a good time. I can turn that into a long tempo run as part of my training. Then I'm going down to run the JG 13.1 on the 13th in Atlanta. And that'll also be a good data point as to my fitness if I treat it as a, a marathon pace test run. And then we've got the Groton Marathon on December 27th, which is more of a fun run than anything else, but it is 26 miles. So looking at that, it's a full month. And I'm probably kidding myself to think I could maintain a high-intensity training cycle and recover through it but we'll see i got plenty of time i don't want to i don't want to turn it into too much you know like work you know it'll be fun i'd like to get a qualifying race in before boston so i can get reseeded to a better corral even if i get my qualifying time i'll still be back in like the 11th or 12th corral but that's better than the 26th corral I also don't don't like to put a lot of pressure on Boston because it can be a bitch of a race, and if you go out and try to qualify, it can it can really uh, it can really ruin your day. 
I tried to upload my first book of running stories, The Midpacker's Lament, that I wrote in, what, 2005 to Audible this week. I had already recorded all the audio myself years ago, but they rejected it as not meeting the proper quality and formatting expectations. And I was a bit disappointed to get a rejection email from those mercenaries. But after I thought about it a bit, I decided to ask a better question. What can I learn from this? So I found a guy to record my new book, Marathon BQ, into an audio book in accordance with Audible standards. And we'll see how that goes. But the answer to what I had learned was I'm an idiot to try to record these things myself without a studio or any equipment or any real editing software. And also, now that I know what the standards are, I can do it without screwing it up. So there you go. I'm the silver lining guy this week, turning adversity into opportunity, just like a a growth mindset individual should. So have a great weekend. Don't forget to ask good questions. Be thankful for what you have even if it's only the opportunity to screw up less. And I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.